When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Stories with Briscoe and Bradshaw. I would be Bradshaw. That would be the WWE Hall of Famer, Oklahoma's favorite son, Mr. Gerald Briscoe. And we have got a member of one of the greatest families in wrestling history. And not only that, we've got one of the best guys in wrestling history. I am so excited to have my candy sharing fried chicken buddy come on here. He's been in the business. He's done everything. He is Mr. Scott Armstrong. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you guys having me on here, man. I've been looking forward to this since the phone call, whenever that was. And uh, I, I really do appreciate you guys having me. And and everything you just said, hell yes, is really true. <laughs> we, had, we had so much candy in the production meeting. At one point, Triple H goes, I'm going to have to put a dentist on retainer. <laughs> we bring in like gobstoppers. We bring in freeze. We had boxing candy. And I'm, to, uh, I, I'm, I'm surprised Vince McMahon let you guys in. With all oh, that oh, believe, believe me, we sat in the very last row of the production meeting. We we had production sheets over top of the big, huge bags of yeah. Sour Patch Kids. We, we we knew if the boss saw it, we were done. Oh, yeah, we were done. He, he'd have thrown us out. Yeah. We had so much candy back there. We, he'd have thrown us out. And, and well, <laughs> But at least he would have thrown your candy out with you. Yes, that's true. That's true. It got to the point where where dudes would grab uh, an empty solo cup and come over to our table before the meeting started and just line up trying to get candy from us. So guys would be sitting there, Jerry, in the meeting with their cup, and it would have nothing but like sprees or some type of of candy in it. Guys would go like... Uh, every, well, well every, most of the guys are well most of the guys are spitting in the cup you guys are eating candy out of the that's, that's true exactly. <laughs> oh man they are the good old days man well, scott you... man it, it's great to have you on here you know your family wow i mean what a family and i've been privileged to know each and every one of you sometimes a little too long and sometimes when you guys were little <laughs> little guys just still pooping in your pants you know around <laughs> that, that you, just you, happened it just happened this morning, Jerry. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing's changed with you. <laughs> no, 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 man. I I tell you, my dad. Um, he, you know, your dad's your dad when you're growing up. Uh, you know, and you're a wrestler's kid, and you're you don't know the difference. Uh, your dad is just on TV, and so it. Uh, later in life, when I turned 22 and started wrestling, then I started traveling with him, and you know, it was the territory days, so it was uh you know, six days a week and in the car with him a lot of hours. And uh, it just, he, to start finding out about him and his friendships in the business. And it blew my mind for him to tell me stories about you guys when you guys were young in the business. And it was just so cool to hear. And so I, I say that to fast forward to this. I'm, 
I finally get hired by WWE. I'm already in my mid to late forties and, and I'm in the back of the plane, you know, on every flight in the middle seat. And I'm not saying a word about, Oh, change my seat. And, and after a while, I see you and you're, you said, Hey, come in the sky club with me, come in. And I walk in and it's like, Oh my God, sky club, man, this is unreal. And you kept telling me, don't worry, boy, you'll be here long enough. You'll be, you'll earn all the, you know, the credit to get in here for free and all that stuff. Okay, great. So then I remember the very first time, this is back in the day when everybody would bring their, um, the little DVD player pop-up gimmick, you know, like a nine inch or whatever it was. And so Everybody had one of those. Well, naturally, I had to go get one so I could watch movies on the plane. And I get upgraded to first class. It was my first time. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I thought, oh, this is the best. And I and they put me up front and I sat down right next to you, Jerry. And I went, oh, this is the And you went, ma'am, could you bring us a couple of whatever it was you were drinking? <laughs> Dude, we get off that plane. And I've gotten so hammered that I have left my DVD player in the back of the seat of the I still hadn't seen it. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> I said, that friggin' Jerry Briscoe, man, he owes me. I can't, you know, I come home, my wife goes, hey, did you charge your DVD? I said, man, honey, that Jerry Briscoe, I swear <laughs> to God. <laughs> After we done was over with all, all the James boys' wives, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey. Let me tell. I'm sorry, boys. I don't know if I'm going off the deep end or if you have a method to your madness. We or, got no method. No, we, we got no methods at all. We got a lot of madness. A lot of madness. This, madness. This, so my very first show in WWE was in uh, Cleveland. So I fly into Cleveland, and, and the late of uh, a Mickey J. Uh, God rest his soul, man. He he met me at the back door, and so we. You know, he introduces me to people I don't know. I see people I do, which Jerry, you and um, <laughs> so a couple of things about this first first time. Um, I, you know, referees had earpieces and and I'm in the ring and all of a sudden you go, all right, ring the bell. You're you're the voice in my ear. And so I, I hear ring the bell and I ring, ring, ring. And now. You're, it's my, I've, I've spent a career in the wrestling business from 22 to 45 to finally get hired by the company I always wanted to work for. And there I am in the ring. Needless to say, I am a nervous wreck. I'm just trying to remember the finish. And all of a sudden they go into the corner and the camera is right there and you go, you know, I remember one time me and your daddy. <laughs> <laughs> There was no way, you know, back then we didn't, we couldn't talk back to anybody and I couldn't say anything, but before the match started, I'm standing there in the corner and I'm at attention and I'm really trying to be, you know, businessman Scott, <laughs> you go, Hey, uh, you got me. And I just gave a little nod. Now the, the first guys come into the ring and you said, Hey, now look, don't, don't make a big deal out of this, but your fly is about halfway open not all the way but about halfway and so i i just thought oh dear god what the you know this has been on tv and all in my head and so as i kind of put my hand where i'm checking it you bust out laughing so hard in my ear <laughs> i went yeah i'm gonna fit in here man this is awesome oh <laughs> uh, god well so then let me tell you that night we get so t we get to the TV hotel, 
And so me and Mickey, we wait till the end. You were timing the show. You had to wait till the end, Jerry. And we get to the TV hotel in the next town. And as we walk in the door, Bruce Pritchard is sitting on a sofa in the lobby. And, and you say something about, ah, you know, Snavitz or whatever. I mean, you're giving him crap. And he starts giving you crap. And you're literally saying, okay, as soon as I get my room key, I'm going to deal with you. And as soon as you got your room key, you just turned around and in full fast paced stride, dropped your backpack and just dove on him. And the couch flipped over (laughs) in the the lobby of this five-star hotel my first night with the company. And I just looked at Mickey and went, oh my God, man, we need to help. And he goes, oh no, this is every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. John, I opened up the door one time in a hotel. Same thing. Nice hotel because the WWE's putting us up pay-per-view or something. So they're putting us up in a nice hotel. Everybody's there. And I opened the door, and there's Bruce and Jerry wearing amateur wrestling head headgear. And they're looking for Kurt Angle. It's like the angle. It's like a storyline back in the day where the Hart Foundation is looking for Sean. They're, they're like looking for Kurt Angle. Like, I, I don't think you want to find him. I, I really don't. I, I really don't think you want to find him. You don't. Can, can you believe Kurt? Can you believe Kurt wouldn't come to our room? He, he, would, he, he would hide out for Bruce and I. Yeah. The, the Olympic gold medals who won the gold medal with a broken freaking neck would didn't have have the conads to come to visit. I, hey, I don't bl- I do not blame him at all. <laughs> one time, uh, Scott, one time we're in Germany and I, I wake up and I and I got my knuckles all busted and my elbows all scuffed up and I thought, oh no, I got in a fight last night. Shit, this is terrible. And I thought, I, I hope it wasn't too bad. You know, I'm so embarrassed. So I go down to the bus and I don't remember what happened. I'm just sitting there and I'm trying to hide on the bus, you know, which is impossible. <laughs> Guys are walking by and nobody's saying anything. I, I thought, well, that's must not have been too bad. Then I look and Gerald Briscoe sitting right across from me and his knuckles are scraped up, his elbows. We had fought each other. <laughs> <laughs> We were wrestling on a parking lot the night before. Oh, before my God. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot changed since then, hadn't it, in the wrestling business? Oh, boy. <laughs> you think? Sky, <laughs> grow, growing up growing up in, in, in your family with with all your brothers there and your dad being a star, when was it, and you said you you're in a car and you, you realize your dad, but when was it at school when you, uh, hey, man, my dad, he's, he's not only on TV, but he's something special on TV. Where, where was it and when, when was it that that happened so, to you? So uh, probably in high school, um, like once I started high school, look, you're, you're in, uh, it was ninth grade through 12th grade. And look, and you start, you've gone from middle school into high school. You're already second. And I was the oldest child, so I didn't have anything to go by how it was going to be in high school. And I just remember around a whole bunch of, of, of dudes that you, you know, at that age, you want to be, you want to impress them and all that. And I didn't have to say a word. This one kid goes, Hey man, isn't your dad, Bob Armstrong. And I went, yeah, as a matter of fact, it is. And dude, I was just automatically accepted. And, and so I realized, wow, man, he's, he's a bigger deal than, than I see him as, you know what I mean? He's dad. And, uh, and look, we always, enjoyed watching him and you know we lived in Marietta which is about 20 miles out of Atlanta I guess and and Atlanta was the big city and so as I got to 
10th grade or 11th grade, I ended up getting a car. And then, uh, and I was told on Friday night, you never drive into Atlanta to the city auditorium <laughs> to watch wrestling ever. And so, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And every Friday night, me as many buddies as I could get in the car, we would go. And as soon as this match was over, we would haul ass back to Marietta because I had to drop them off of their cars and get back home before he did. <laughs> so that I said, I'm home, dad. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, he just didn't want, he just didn't want us, you know, he didn't want us getting into Atlanta because he knew we'd get into some trouble. And well, uh, say that city auditorium had trouble written all over it, inside down. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty, Scotty, that's awesome. You, you would sneak in to watch your dad wrestle. Well, I paid at the front door like everybody else. But but yes, we never told. You know, as, as I got old and had kids and everything, it came up one time and I told him and he started laughing. He said, why didn't you ever come? And he said, damn, I wouldn't have done as many jobs if I knew you're in the audience. <laughs> you could have changed his career around. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, well, I, I know your mom and your mom, mom was such a lovely lady and she tried to insulate you guys from from oh. all of Bob's uh, friends like me and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and the Fullers and, and uh, Roddy Piper and guys like that. And, but, <laughs> yeah. she, but she couldn't do it 100% because we had to have that road time there. But uh, what a wonderful lady uh, your mom was and, and raised you boys like, like she did. But yeah, your, your dad was always, always up. Your parents and your dad especially was always so proud of you guys. I remember the first time that he actually allowed some of you guys that come in backstage, I think the whole damn army was there that day. But <laughs> guys came in the army right after it was just opened up the first army there. Yeah. And he introduced you one by one. And all, all you guys had that smile on your face, man. We just got <laughs> into the candy kitchen there, man. But it had to be a thrill for you guys, you know. And, but, yes. But you, but your mom had has so many accolades coming towards her for, for being the mom that she was for you guys. Thank you for saying that, man. Uh, she was, look, she was some special. She had uh, ended up with five wrestlers. You know, she lit wow. my dad. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. My dad always said, hey, she raised me. And they all <laughs> could wrestle. They all <laughs> he, um, you know, he, he literally loved her till the very end. And I mean, look, she was uh, at the end of her, not to go on a depressing ride here, but at the end of her life, uh, he was taking care of her every minute of every day. And eight weeks after she passed away, he passed away. He, he had cancer the whole time and he never, you know, he'd say, Oh, but he would still come up, come to my house and get a workout and, and sweat. And I'd say here, dad, let me spot. He goes, no, no, I got it. I got it. And I remember about two weeks before he died, um, he was staying out at Brad's at uh, Brian's house, Brad's. I wish uh, he was at uh, Brian's house. And he said, so I, I've got, it's about an hour drive from the beach to out to where Brian lives. And, uh, and so uh, he said, son, never stop working out. And he said, I don't mean you got to go to the gym, lift weight, but, but never stop moving. He said, cause when you stop moving, you're done. He said, so just know that. And I said, oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you know, he had, at the time, it's the last thing I paid attention to, but since he's been gone, I think about that. I try to work out every morning and I think about that a lot. Um, don't stop moving, man. You know, and, and my, my mom. So we always said she had the very best wrist lock in the history of any business. Cause dude, look, you got to understand. And I'm sure you do uh, say a 10 year old and nine, this was the ages 10, nine, seven, and two. 
Brian was two, Road Dog was two, he was the youngest. And so you got those four kids. And remember back in those days, there you didn't have cable television. So there were three channels. And if you stood on one leg with the, <laughs> the tinfoil in your hand, you got a fourth channel. And so um, as soon as wrestling, it was one hour a week and we would watch it. And our dad was, as soon as it was over, Dude, we were flying off the coffee table and doing what, what kids do when, when they watch wrestling. Man, back in those days, parents would swat that butt. And my mom would grab, I mean, she was, believe me, we had it coming times 10. But nowadays, we used to, before she passed away, we said, Mom, you'd be locked up in jail 30 ways from Sunday because the way you whipped our butts, man. But she meant forced to mind. And, and you know, Jerry, dad, back in those days, we would get this talk every time we would we would go out um, around wrestling because he knew we were hellions. You know what I mean? We were just boys. And and he would in the car before we got out of the car, he'd say, now, boys, I want you to understand one thing. When we get when we get out of this car, you represent the Armstrong family and you represent it like you're a man. You don't walk out there and act like a stupid kid. You don't do any. You're an Armstrong. And, and we all would say, yes, sir, before we got out of the car. And so we all, I, I hope you remember us as being well-behaved because otherwise we got to ask for <laughs> No, the, I, I, don't. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't remember that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> how, how much older was your brother, uh, Brad, than you, Scott? I, I was a year, I was older than him by one year and one month. Oh, you yeah. know, wow. I, I didn't know that, but you yeah. know, I, John and I are still trying to figure out how, how you how you were born older than your dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Scott knows best. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, when 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 your brother started, he was was he the first one that that or was you the first one? No, Brad Brad was the first one, and this is a, this is an awesome story too. But so Brad graduated from high school he, he dad had just moved down here moved the family down to uh, the Pensacola area uh I want to say 78 and and uh or 79 maybe but anyway Brad moved down here his senior year of high school and and finished high school down here and three weeks after he got out of high school he had gotten a job at a little grocery store a little mom and pop grocery store and so my dad walked in there to buy something and heard the the manager just just dog talking Brad just what are you doing my god how stupid are you and and Brad was always the meek quiet one of and Brad would just you know Brad just ducking his head and dad saw that and dad said hey Brad tell him you quit and Brad went oh dad this is my boss this is and and he said tell him you quit right now and he went, Dad, and he said, tell him if he wants to see you again, he can watch TV. And Brad went, Brad just looked at the guy and went, hey, I quit. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> he knew exactly what that meant, man. And he and literally like two weeks later, he was in the ring and had his first match, 18 years old. July 4th, as a matter of fact, 18 wow. years old, he had his first match. So he had a whole two weeks of training. Yes, and that's the truth. And wow. and But look, hey, when you break in with guy, I think his very first match was like, Dennis Condry, Norvell Austin. Um, I think Randy Rhodes was here at the time. But when you break in and Dennis Condry's across the ring yeah. from you and Nor Norvell Austin, I mean, my God, man, 
That's yeah, just it's a world of difference with you know second second and third generation guys just have a leg up on everybody else. I mean, you you, you had, he, at that time he had spent already eighteen years in the business. <laughs> well, he may not yeah. have trained, but he yeah. he had spent eighteen years in the business. Yeah, when when we would when we were down here, we would go into the ocean, you know, and and they'd be knee deep, and we'd be taking backdrops and doing spots and tag team and all. And I, I'll never forget one time, and we're all just teenagers. I remember walking up the beach and Dad going. Every one of y'all are better workers than I am right now. And we just, <laughs> woo, let me buy some boots. So, so <laughs> yeah, how did you follow your, your brother Brad into it? If he, was he, so uh, he, a, he a, I went to college. Years. Yeah, I went, I went on to college. And so um, about, about three years, about three years of college. And then I, I said, I can't do this anymore, man. I wanted, I wanted to wrestle since I was in the fourth grade. I mean, that's the truth. I always, said i'm gonna be a wrestler and i was always laughed at because i was the skinny little kid that you know i was the least likely of the family to be a wrestler and uh, but i wanted to do it man it was my dream and uh, and i'll never forget to this too we were in we were riding in the car brad, brad was the front seat dad me in the back seat we're driving to a town and i'm in the back seat man i'm blowing my man i'm gonna be the world champion i'm gonna do you know uh brand new to the business and anybody that will listen, let me tell you how great I'm going to be and how I'm going to change the wrestling industry. And I'll never forget my dad going, son, they actually talked to, said this at his way at his funeral. I'm sorry. He said, son, uh, you know, this business can be a lot of fun, but there are no, at that time, you know, I'm 178 pounds and six foot. You know what I mean? I'm, and back then, Big guys made money, not little skinny guys. And he said, it's, it can be a really fun business, but with your size, you need to learn every aspect of the business. You need to learn how to sell tickets, put the ring up, uh, referee, wrestle, uh, understand what the, the, the finishes and how they go into them and what, where the referee spot needs to be. He said, you just need to understand all that. And you can have a really fun ride and make a little money along the way. And guys, I'm here to tell you, in my wrestling career, which um, August uh, 23rd, I think, was uh, was 39 years and since my first match. And I literally helped put up the ring. I sold tickets. Me and my wife sold tickets right at the, the front door. Um, I, I was the announcer uh, for Continental uh, when it first started. Uh, on TV and on all the live events and I wrestled and then refereed and then produced. I've literally done, you know what I mean? And somebody said, Scott, you should write a book. I said, it'd be written. It'd be called under the radar. Cause that's where I like it. I don't, I don't need to be at, you don't have to tell me nothing. I lived it. It was awesome. Two great kids. You know what I mean? The wrestling business. I mean, what else? If you love something, right. You know, the deal. And, and man, this has just been, it's been a dream, man, from a, from a little kid on to, look, hey, man, today I'm on a freaking podcast with Jerry Briscoe and JBL. Come wow. on. Dang right. It don't yeah. get no better. Yeah. Dang right. Hey, Sean, I, I, don't, I don't know how well you would remember this, but uh, your brother and my, my brother, they set a, a ratings record for, uh, the, at the time, WTBS uh, Championship Wrestling from Georgia. When uh, my brother, John, my brother was champion. And he was coming into Georgia, you know, the champions are booked all over the place, but he's based out of Atlanta, of course. And so 
they came up, uh, Barnett uh, called Jack into the office one time. He said, Jack, we want to work a TV program with you. We don't know who to do it with. Well, Jack had respected that bullet Bob so much. He said, Bob has that, that son over there, Brad Armstrong. He said, that's who I want to work with. He said, Jack, he just started in the business. You know, he, 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 he Jack said, I don't care. I want to take him. I want, I want, to, I want to have his, his first title match. So for, but Brad's first title match. He had Jack go out there. It's basically an unknown, right, Scott? I mean, yes. Brad, Brad's an unknown. And here's a world champion. He handpicked Brad Armstrong to go. They had a match that's probably still to this day wouldn't stand up against any match. They <laughs> set a ratings record, all-time ratings record, the most people ever in the history of Georgia Championship Wrestling was watching that match. That that match set Brad on firework. He elevated himself from from first event to main event everywhere that Georgia Championship wow. Wrestling was done. Yeah, but that's how the ratings were so high. That's how good Jack was, though, Jerry. I mean, you know, Jack was unreal, man. He was that good. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you got to have a dance partner out there. No. Brad Moore held Scott, up Scott, there. I, I, I 100% agree. You. I have so much respect for, for Jack and for Jerry Briscoe, but your, your brother. I saw him come to Bremen, Germany one time to wrestle Fit Finley for, I think, the light heavyweight title, I think it was. It was seven or eight rounds. It was, one of the, to this day, one of the best matches I've ever seen. I just remember, <laughs> I remember sitting in the back watching this. Cause I, I'd heard so much about Brad. I'd never been in a territory with him. I'd never been in Japan with him. I'd never been. I was always in Texas. He was somewhere else. So finally, I got to see Brad against Fit, who I know no can go. And I'm here to the story right. about uh, your brother, Brad. I'm sitting in the back thinking, I can't do that. <laughs> These guys are good. It was, it was anybody who saw that match, I don't even know if it's recorded, will tell you that's one of the best wrestling matches they've ever seen. So, so Fitz, Fitz told me this story. I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, Brad comes back from that tour, uh, that, that Germany uh, trip, and Brad says, Hey, I said, hey, man, who'd you work with? He said, their, their champion, his name's Fit Finley. I, I don't know him. You know, and Brad said, I didn't know him either, but my God, he's one of the most stiff. He beat the <laughs> hell out of me, man. And I said, really? So anyway, fast forward about, I don't know, six months to a year, and we were working Atlanta TV, and, you know, me and my brother Steve just getting beat every week on TV in four minutes. And all of a sudden – um, Brad comes and said, Scotty, did you see you're in a single match today? And I said, yeah. And he said, did you see who you're against? And I said, no, I don't know the guy. And he said, Scotty, it's Fit Finley. That's the guy that beat the shit out of me, man. <laughs> oh, and I went, oh, geez. Oh, come on. And he goes, no, man, you got to think. He said, go talk to him and get your match all straight. He said, but, but then let me talk to you before you go out. So a lot of people don't know this. Me and my brother's like you. If we knew we were going to have somebody that we could possibly have an issue with, we would start trying to get our head right, right before the match. And I don't mean just warm up. I mean, whatever happens, it just happens. That was the redneck in us. And so, <laughs> so Brad, here comes Brad about two matches to go. You know, I'm in the hole, um, third match waiting to go and I'm stretching and I'm getting my net and Brad says, Hey man, get your head right for this. I'm not kidding you, Scotty, get your head. I'm, I'm not kidding you. Dude, I get in the ring and I'm so ready to fight a human being. Not, and I've never seen fit work, so I, I just know he's stiff. But I'm ready to be stiff back. And we lock up, and I swear to God, Fred and Ginger couldn't touch what we did. It was the <laughs> easiest. 
most yeah. most smooth, everything smooth. And I come back through the curtain and Brad goes, are you okay, man? And I went, <laughs> dude, you told me the guy's, the st- you told me he's stiff, he's light as a facet. My God. And here comes Fit. And I just threw Brad right under the bus. Right, <laughs> He just told me how stiff you were and Fit went, did I touch you? And I said, no. And he, he looked at Brad and he goes, why would you tell him that? And Brad goes, well, when I was in Germany, you hit me, you, you hit me so hard for so long. And Brad, and he goes, yeah, like in the first minute of our first, it was rounds, right? Wasn't that the rounds? Yeah, it was rounds. Yeah. He said, in the first minute of the first round, you hit me with a forearm. He said, I've never been knocked out in my whole career. And I couldn't understand where I was in the ring. And he yeah. said, so yeah, I got, I thought that's how you work. So I got stiff with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the best man, Fit Finley. But yeah, it's, um, look, uh, <clears throat> I, I do agree with what you said, uh, JBL, about the, the generational kids. A lot of times generational kids just look, you look at Kurt Henning, my God, man, there, there was, I mean, just so smooth and, and the, you know, Guerrero boys and that, you just, you see that and think, man, but, but Brad really, you know, he had my dad's timing and he had, uh, and, and plus, you know, six, nights a week uh, across the ring from Dennis Condry on the job training literally at 18 years old. Holy man. It's a sink or swim for sure. But um, if you rise to the occasion, then you are for- afforded the luxuries, just like uh, Jerry was saying of his brother saying, give me him. And then they tear the house down. You know what I mean? That's just the stuff that you wish you could go back and watch. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, your dad is, you know, a few guys, you know, you always see legends come to the back, you know, and and there's difference in legends. You know, it's like difference in old uh, baseball players. You know, there's there's great legends and then there's Babe Ruth. You know, there's, there's different, you know, there's, there's different love. When Bullet Bob came back, it's the first time I ever met him. I never met him before. I, I waited in line to meet him. He, I think he's the only person I waited in line for. Because I thought, this is, this is good. This is cool. Yeah, this is Bullet Bob. Dude, he he loved. And he was, day. and by the way, he was beyond nice. He's like, "Hey, I'm a big fan of yours. I watch all that." No, you're not. He, That's okay. I don't care. He, <laughs> no, he he did. He watched all the show. I mean, you know, we were on the road, me and Brian both, and then when we'd come home, he he and my mom lived literally right across the road from me, so I could be at their house in two minutes. And so if I cooked a big meal, I'd just run it right over there to him. And as soon as I would see him from coming back off the road from TVs, he'd say. Man, I watched that show. You know who had a great match? He would just start putting it over. And, and you know, as it, as it time went on, I, and uh, I was able to tell him, Dad, it's, it was so cool for me to see how you mentally progressed with the business. Because, you know, you guys know business changes. It just does. And, um, and he mentally changed with the business. He understood. Like, like if he had watched AEW the other night and saw Will Osprey do 42 flips before – they ever touched each other, he would have said, wow, man, that's different. There, there's a place for that on the card for sure because it's entertaining. And he would have rolled with that, whereas a lot of old school dudes, as you know, would go, well, that's crap. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? That's interesting. That, that really is a, a divide between yeah, the is. two. You know, there's always the the group that our generation was better. These guys suck. Yep. You know, there's always yep. the disgruntled guys. Then there's always the guys going, I don't really get it but there's big crowds and it seems to work. Yeah. Yeah. That's hey, my very, my very first tour with WWE in England. Um, 
uh, John Laurinaitis had come to me. I don't know if that's a bad word you say on your, do you edit that out or I don't know how that works. But anyway, he said, so he was the boss at the time for me. And he said, Hey, look, you've been in the business a hundred years. When these guys come back through the curtain, let them talk. But when they start to separate, go to them and tell them what you saw and what they could make better and what you liked. And I, and I, and I went, Hey, they don't know me. And he goes, no, they, they know you, you know, cause I, again, didn't get hired till I was 45. And so, so I did that. Uh, the very first night I did it all night. And the last match was John Cena. And so he comes back through the curtain and he goes, okay, what do you got? And I went, oh, I, I was great, man. And he goes, no, 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 no. You've stood, I've watched you tell everybody one at a time, every one of them, what they did, uh, you know, what they could improve on. He said, so what do you got? And I said, dude, look, you're, you're obviously doing everything right. I said, what I see in the ring is, I mean, if I'm being honest, there's a lot of places that it's lacking, but then I see that crowd and I know who's the person that put those asses in the seats and it's sold out. Dude, you can do no wrong. (laughs) He just started laughing. I said, man, that's the, I mean, literally I told him, I said, that's, that's wrestling. That's, the first match can tear the house down and be on the mat and doing all of it. But by the last match, I want to see some guys punch each other in the mouth. And you know what I mean? I want to see some, some wrestling. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so there's a place to me, the fl- there's a place for the flippy stuff the, when I saw it the other night, I'm watching it and I, I see him and the other guy and they literally it's into the ropes eight times a piece or something. And they're flipping over each other. Nobody touched. And when they came to the, ha, it was like, hold up the applause now sign. And, and literally half the people, and I mean half, in the crowd stood up and clapped. And the other half sat there like, really? Yeah. And so that's kind of where we're at in the world in general, not just in the wrestling industry, in the world in general. I mean, look at the elections, half and half, right? So um, I, I feel like there's, there is a place for stuff like that. <clears throat> I just don't. I, back in the day, I couldn't have done one of those flips anyway. So it don't <laughs> one time, one time, Rod was sitting in the back, and, and he was watching a bunch of young guys practice their flips. They're doing all kinds of stuff, and they said, "Rod, what are you doing?" He goes, "Looking at a bunch of shit I ain't gonna take." <laughs> <laughs> they ask him, they go, "What would you do if they wanted to do that?" He goes, "Tag John." <laughs> yeah there you go you ain't tagging me <laughs> hey scott a... what, what why, why did brad get into the wrestling business uh earlier you, you said you wanted to be a wrestler since you were real young why did it take you what what took you so long to go to college and all that first just before so, you decided i want to go in this so in, in high school so when we we jerry you probably remember this in in the mid early mid 70s dad came down there and worked that territory for like a year and and he moved the whole family which we never moved with him he always did his you know uh, commuting and so we all moved with him i got a great story about that if you'll remind me (laughs) (laughs) okay and so so uh there were tennis courts right in the middle of our apartment we know we we kept the house in georgia we rented an apartment down there and the kid that lived next door played tennis every day. And one day said, Hey, come play tennis. And I did. And, and I wasn't, I wasn't horrible. And so we played. And then when we moved back to Georgia, uh, I went to high school and played tennis all four years. And so I never, um, you know, I just thought, well, I was working at a bank in the bookkeeping department, my senior year. And, 
So I was just, um, that, dad always said, don't get in the wrestling business. Just stay with banking and try to go up that ladder. And, you know, that's never where my heart was, but it was just what you do as a kid. And Brad, in the ninth grade, started working out and going to the gym and training hard. And needless to say, two skinny little kids that look the exact same uh, in high school, our bodies just transformed. Mine didn't transform at all. I stayed a skinny kid playing tennis, but he just kept working out and he got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then uh, uh, he, he had kind of talked about he wanted to wrestle his senior year, but you know, he didn't really, he didn't really pursue it like I did. Jerry, when, when I wanted, when I literally said, dad, I, I want to do this. I want to train. And he just said, yeah, you're just not big enough. I went ahead and uh, Bill Ash had just passed away. God rest right. his soul. Yeah, Bill he, Ash. I got all my boots for Bill. <laughs> I literally uh, called and said, hey, I want a pair of wrestling boots. And he said, okay, well, let's get the ball rolling. And I had the boots sent to my – my dad hadn't even said I could wrestle yet. I mean, nothing. And he came home. I just told this story to my son a few days ago. He came home and opened the door and looked down at my feet and said, what the hell is that? Because it had my initials <laughs> on it and everything. And I, of course, two inches higher because of the skinny calves. Yeah. You try to cover up the calves. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, he, and he said, uh, what the hell is that? And I went, oh, they're my wrestling boots. I'm breaking them in. He said, well, I don't know why. And just walked on out of the room. And I, while it crushed me, it didn't defeat me. I literally... Wore, I would wait till he left and I'd put them on and wear it because I wanted them to be broke in. First time I threw a drop kick, man, that was in my head. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so, you know, I, I don't know, Brad just, um, he, he, he just excelled. And it's funny because Jerry, after he first started wrestling, um, you know, they were, big, you know, KFA was huge back then. You know, I mean, it, it wasn't like now you punch a button on the internet and you see anything and everything. Um, and so, He'd come home, he wouldn't, if I asked him a thousand questions, he just didn't even want to answer them. He didn't want to, he stayed true to the game, man. He, he's straight up. I, in my very, my very first match, right before I walked out, again, nervous wreck, 22 years old. I'm tagging with Brad. And uh, I said, and I'm about to walk out and I look and there's my dad. And I said, hey, dad, you got anything? And he said, yeah. Just stand on the stand on the apron and watch your brother. And I said, "Okay, yes, sir." And then I look. It's the best advice I've ever gotten. I did. I did just that. I stood on the apron and I watched him. I watched his footwork. I watched him. And you know, we I, when I started started in a little bit of an angle uh, as a tag with him. And so um, I was able to do that six nights a week and just learn. You know what I mean? Just uh, over time, there were guys like. Um, like Rip Rogers came in and he was uh, a, he was a showman, you know what I mean? But he could also mat wrestle. Uh, Adrian street came in and you know, he was a showman and, mm-hmm. and could also shoot a little bit. And so, oh, yeah. uh, hey, I mean, just, uh, there were guys that, uh, Tommy Gilbert, remember Tommy Gilbert? Tommy, yes, sir. To, to, he brought that. So after I did that whole tag run with Brad in my rookie years, um, dad was the booker and he brought in Tommy Gilbert to work a program with me for like six months. And so I had gone from, uh, old Southern tag spots, hitting the ropes, high, you know, off the top, blah, 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 to Tommy just grounding me and, and not, you know, he was already, 
was 23 or maybe, and he was probably 45 at the time and he was slowing down. And, but in my mind, come on, man, let's go, let's go. And I'll never forget riding back from a town saying, man, dad, he don't want to do anything. He wants to, he don't want to. And man, dad goes, boy, you better shut your damn mouth. You ever say a negative word about Tommy Gilbert again, I'll pull this car over and beat the hell out of you. You got me. And I went, what did I say? He goes, that man will teach you more about wrestling, but you got to shut the hell up and listen to him. He will teach you about the, about the wrestling business. You're just sitting there running your mouth about a man that can work circles around you that has laid the ground. I mean, he just lit into me and I went, yes, sir, dude, I may cry telling you about it. Six months later, Tommy just came in for six months. When he left, I hugged him and cried and thanked him because he did. He taught me when he passed away. I cried and called his son and said, you don't even know, man, that guy made a difference in my career. He really did. He yeah, made a huge, <clears throat> huge there. difference. He, he never, he never got the exposure that he truly deserved. No, he didn't. <clears throat> Thankfully, it's uh, thankfully his son come along and, and, and carry that name out uh, to to be a, a role of respect. But Tom Tommy was 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 so fantastic. Who was the guy, Scott? Because you come up during during the era that the golden age of, to, to a lot of people, a lot of big stars. Who was who was the guy that you kind of looked up to besides your dad and and your brother that you looked up to? To man, I want to pad my career after this guy because you were around so much great influence at the time. So, um, look, to, we, I remember getting off the school bus and meeting Chief Jay Strongbow in our driveway. And I was just a little kid and my dad going, hey, boys, y'all know who this is? We were like, oh, my God. You know what I mean? Because we didn't, wrestlers didn't come to our house. It's just that simple. And and um, but Mr. Wrestling number two was huge in Atlanta. Huge, and, yeah. and and so um, he was somebody I looked up to. But Jerry, I, look, and I, I would say this if you weren't on this podcast dory and terry funk and you and your brother were like man you guys were gods to us growing up you just were because we were brothers and and we wanted to be you guys you know what i mean we wanted to be wrestlers at that time there wasn't uh you know not like not like my baby brothers oh you didn't know there wasn't a bunch of that it was <laughs> you you know you you, you tell somebody I'm going to come there on Friday night. I'm going to beat your ass. And that's how it was. And it was wrestling. And so, um, uh, the, your, you and Jack's work and, and the Funk brothers, their work. And you just as children, amen. That, like, that brother, that brother bond kind of. Yes. It did. Because your brother, I can see that. Yeah. It, it did, man. And, and like, uh, and you then know, you got to know him and all that went to hell. <laughs> <laughs> he got to know you that he thought, I want to be like the Funks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or I want to be like Jack. It was a nice one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that Jack must be a good man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, it was such a, listen, to go home after that first weekend with WWE to come home and tell my dad the whole story about about you, Jerry. He just loved it, man. He laughed so <laughs> He laughed so hard. He said, yeah, I, I remember that guy. Man. <laughs> uh, it's funny because you can, I, I could tell him that and it would spur 10 good stories. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. like, oh, this one time. And then he started into a story that I went, Hey dad, are you sure you want 
tell me that story. I, you know? I got to work with that guy. <laughs> yeah. well, yes. Well, Jerry, what was the uh, story you were going to tell? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When, when, when you guys first moved down here, Bob was still finishing up in Georgia, and I got fired for Fred Ward's town, which meant I'd worked in Atlanta on, uh, on the weekends. And on Monday, then I'd get in a car and we'd drive from Macon, Georgia, down to, to Tampa. Well, your dad was just starting down there, but he's finishing up in Georgia. So when I had a little blue Mercedes convertible, you know, that uh, really, really, that dad really liked traveling in because we could put the top down, we could screw around all that yeah. stuff. And your dad loved doing that, <laughs> screwing around on the road. So, so we, you know, we filled it, we got, we got the ice chest and loaded it down in the back of that little two seater Mercedes. It was all ice chest and two jabronis and, and the damn car. So, so we're, you know we're what's so right about this, Scott? If you get stopped in a convertible with an ice chest full of beer in the back, <laughs> you, you've got yeah. zero excuse. Well, we didn't get time. stopped. <laughs> Except, officer, I don't know whose beer that is. Right. Yeah, somebody said it. We stopped at the Waffle House and somebody just said that. Uh, and I said that. <laughs> But anyway, we finished the idea. I said, you guys have just moved into this apartment. And when, when you said it, there was a, a tennis court real close by. So, and that, and that, and over on Waters Avenue, and that, that apartment complex was huge, John, just one of those really gigantic ones. Yep. And the damn thing had three or four tennis courts. On. <laughs> <laughs> so we're sitting there, and I said, Bob, I said, what, what kind of car is your wife got? Is that the blue Cadillac or gray, yeah. gray Cadillac? He had, a, he had a red one, and then he had a, a gray uh, a Chrysler gray Imperial. Yeah, big, gray, huge. It was a gray like Chrysler. That. He had a Cadillac, yeah. and your mom had the Chrysler. <laughs> yeah. But he told me the car, and it had Georgia plates on it. So we rode that complex. Now, we'd driven all night long. And we, had, <laughs> we, had, we, had, we had to go down to the office and report in that morning, too. So now the sun's coming up. We're driving around that damn uh, complex. It's summertime and it's hot as hell. So I put the, put the top down. We're sweating like crazy. Bob, where's? I said, well, hell, we can't find it. We can't find your car. Let's go to a payphone. He said, yeah. So we got to the payphone. He's standing there. I said, what's the matter? You don't have a quarter? And he said, no, I got a quarter. I said, well, why don't you call? He said, I can't. I don't know the number. <laughs> <laughs> So we're standing out in front of this. He didn't know booth. the number to his house. Now, he just moved in. He just, he just got there. That's the reason he had no car because he was finishing up in Georgia and the family and everything had moved down there and way before cell phones. And so right. they just, they had wife, of course, when, when you move, your wife takes care of all the phones, all the electricity and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah. His wife had the phone numbers and he gave it. She, of course, gave it to Bob, but you know, Bob and Bob and Bob, he right. got lost in, in the 600 miles from Macon to yeah. out the top of that car. So we're, we're sitting there, what are we going to do? And it's now it's getting, it's getting sun up. And then, but fortunately, school had just started. So we hang out by the school bus there. <laughs> and we see the kids coming out, and then all of a sudden, we there, there's my boy. <laughs> oh, great! There's, there's his wife, too, dropping the kid off at the school bus. And boy, 
he he goes over and man, I, I got out of there as quick as I could because I know fingers were being pointed, they were all being pointed towards oh. me. <laughs> so he had I to, delivered your dad safely at home. He had to hang out at the school to find his son to find yeah. his house. <laughs> exactly. Hey, nowadays two big jacked up dudes with the convertible top down at six AM at the school bus. Yeah, with the yeah, yeah. Beer, <laughs> you're going to jail. Wind left me long before when your mom got there nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's awesome. What'd you get fired <laughs> for, Jerry? Huh? You said you got fired from Fred's Town. What'd you get fired for? Uh, I, well, you uh, the truth is I wouldn't get color. <laughs> I was told by Eddie Graham, don't do color, don't get color unless you talk to me. That was Jack and I's orders from Eddie Graham. Said, you guys sell too much, you sell way too good. You don't need the blood to go on top of it. So when I went up there, you know, I, I come in from uh, the Carolinas who uh, Crockett Senior at the time and and uh, Eddie were good friends and Eddie told him, well, he didn't, Eddie didn't, he told Barnett in Atlanta, but Barnett had all these sub promoters, you know, Fred Ward and all these other guys. He had, and Barnett failed to tell these other guys that, you know, Eddie don't want Briscoe's getting juice. So, so, uh, I got it, and then the Fred said, well, it looks like I, I got no place for you if you can't get color. I said, okay. I, so the great thing about it, he ran Tuesdays and Thursdays, or Tuesdays and Wednesdays, shit towns, little spot show towns. Well, that <laughs> just happened to be Miami and Tampa to a town for Florida. So I would leave, I'd work, I'd work Jimstown on Monday and come back to Atlanta on Friday, but in the meantime, instead of making those, those two shit towns, those three shit town i would get to make tampa miami and jacksonville make a great payday and then go back to atlanta there for three days work. it was it was the greatest thing i that had happened to me you know? <laughs> wasn't fred ward the name of the guy that was the father of beaver yeah i probably was <laughs> he was too rough on the beaver <laughs> <laughs> Pass Freddie Ward, though. You remember Freddie Ward, right? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I do. Yes, sir. He had two son-in-laws, uh, Ralph Freed and uh, Leon Ogle. That, yep, Leon Ogle. That, that eventually took over the business for him. But, man, and Columbus was a decent town, but the little, you know, Albany, Georgia, the little, little skating yep. Greek town that he ran like that, they they were forty dollar payoffs. Yeah, I remember the, the uh, you know, the championship belts. They had one in every town, the Albany yeah. champion, the Macon Columbus champion, champion, the Macon champion. Everybody had a championship. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Scott, who who, who trained you when, when you first get in the business? What, did your dad train you or who actually trained you in the ring? So um, the late, great Tommy Rogers, one half of the Fantastics, um, he was in this territory and uh, he was here about, about a year and I just let him know that I wanted to wrestle and it was just in conversation and he said well hey man let's find out what time they put the ring up in Pensacola and let's go over there and we'll just do some stuff in the ring I'll teach you some stuff and I said okay because he was already working of course and uh and at an underneath spot on the card but still he had been a couple of places and he was about my age and he said, uh, and so we started doing that every Sunday. And then we did it about three weeks in a row. And he said, hey, look, Mobile, Alabama is an hour drive from Pensacola. He said, hey, 
um, do you want to ride with me? You can ride with me to Mobile. He said, you can ride, ride back with your dad after the show, but you can ride over there and we can get in the ring. And I went, oh, great. So I was able to get in the ring a couple of times a week for about, I don't know, eight or 10 weeks. And then I, <laughs> I was in the locker room after we had worked out in the ring and, and Tommy came walking in and saw my dad and he goes, Hey, Bob, Hey, he's, he's doing great. His timing is good. He said he can throw a drop kick and he's saying it all right in front of me. And so I'm just eating it up, man. And, and so as soon as I, I couldn't wait to get in the car with my dad, man, as soon as we got in the car, I said, Oh, Hey dad, you heard what Tommy said. And dad said, Hey, pump the brakes there, son. Um, he said, you know, Tommy's a, first match guy he hasn't been in any main events yet he's just getting started in the business himself so I think I'd like to know from somebody else that you might be doing okay and I went yeah okay it was just him way of his way of trying to squash me from wanting to do what I was going to do no matter what he said and and so and then um once he realized that I wasn't you know, look, we went to the beach almost every day. And that's just the truth. I, I was going to college in Georgia. They were living down here. And when I would come down to visit for spring break, we'd spend two weeks and every morning they would wake up, work out, then they would go to the beach and then they would come back, shower, drive to the town, drive to the town and have flip-flops on and, and, and do the show, put the flip-flops back on, drive back and do it the next day. And I'll never forget saying, dad, y'all do this every day and he started laughing and said every day and he goes you know son they have colleges here too if you want to <laughs> he said why don't you go home sell everything you got and come down here well he didn't have to say that twice I'm telling you right now that was like a an, in April and in June I was living here and I and I was 19 years I've never I've been here ever since I'm, I've never I, I bought a house here raised my kids here it's heaven man it just is and uh but being able to go to the beach with him and then he started opening up to me a lot more after that day that Tommy said that to him. And, uh, and so then I, we'd be at the beach and I'd say, Hey dad, if, if he ever walked out in the water, I'd walk out to hound him and say, Hey, on a, you know, on a hip toss, uh, where are you, you know, where are you hooking the guy? And I, I just had a thousand questions and, and he st got to where he'd start answering them. And for the longest time, it, it would just be, oh, boy, no, you you stay with that college. And you. I think he finally realized, Scotty ain't going to shut up. So <laughs> so just get him in the business. And, and they did a good, you know, the, to bring me in. They literally, um, he was a heel. He had just turned heel. He had slapped Brad on TV a little bit earlier. And then finally, um, you know, they get, they get Brad down in Dothan, Alabama, the, the, literally one of the hottest towns they had at the time. It was every Saturday night and, and they're beating Brad, the three, three dudes beating Brad to death. And everybody's looking back towards the, where the heels came out because they thought Bob's coming. And instead I did with the kendo stick. And I, I hit those guys each one time and they were gone. And I just spun in the middle, you know, big pop and, and so I come back and they said, Hey, the heels want you to come over there and talk to them. You know, back then, Hey man, that's a no, no. They said, no, no, put a, put a hood on, do something. So I, I walk in and they literally this old school, Jerry, you can identify with it. They grabbed me and started just hitting me in the shin and the arm and the, and just not hard, but, but bam, with a kendo stick, just, I was going, Oh, Oh, but they're holding me. And I, and finally, 
they stopped and said, do you see how that feels? And I said, yeah. And they said, so now let us show you how to swing it. And I went, you could have showed me that before the match. God dang, man. Yeah. So you know, it, you know what the, the dumbass is? If I want to get hit by something, I'm going to show somebody before. I don't care if they know how after. <laughs> right. right. And so needless to say, I swung it like I was Babe Ruth. I'd be, but they all would only, they only took one and were gone. Who were the heels? Do you remember? Yeah, it was Norvell and Dennis Condry and Randy Rose. Those those three that Brad Brad had been working with them the whole you know for a year or more, and and so uh, it was those three guys. Of course, I think the next week Dennis quit. (laughs) (laughs) When he saw the bookings that you were, the old man was doing the bookings that too, right? he said, I got to work with that kid and train another Armstrong. I <laughs> don't think so. Uh, I just I'm, saw I'm his... surprised you didn't have Big Bill Dromo or Cochran around at that oh, time. Oh, so, so he used, um, he used Daryl Cochran a lot. Uh, like Daryl would come down here for a week and just take a vacation and, and just wear a mask and wrestle in the second match. John, when... these were farming that, 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 uh, Bob had broken in with uh, that farming. The one, when Bob was doing the farming gig was, Dromo and, and Cochran, and he got he got them both in the or they got him in the business. Right? I think they got him in, yeah, because right. Daryl Cochran was like a, an Olympic lifter. I mean, he yeah. he crazy strong, <coughs> and and uh, and Big Bill Dromo, he lived on he lived in Smyrna, so you know, twenty minutes from our house. So he were they those were Daryl Cochran ended up being like the, you know, you think about the people <coughs> in, the people in your life that made a difference as you grew up and. Yeah. And you're, you know, you, the male male figures other than my dad, Daryl Cochran, very much, very father-like to us growing up and and around a lot and and very guy, you know, guiding us, uh, you know, hey boys, financially, if you do this and always, uh, just always. When I think back about it, uh, you know, as a kid, don't talk to me about that. Tell me who won the match, and you know what I mean. But then you go <coughs> back and you go, wow, that dude made a difference in my life, and. Uh, you know, it, it's sad. It's sad that youth <laughs> youth is wasted on the young. <laughs> no kidding. Were you in uh, Pensacola before you? Because a lot of people came through there. You know, Hollywood Tatum. I guess his dad was running the, the fairgrounds, and they got Michael Hayes in, and uh, Hulk Hogan comes down there with Beefcake. Were, were you there during any of that? No, that was that was uh, that was before you. Yes, that was before the whole. I think uh, the Fullers bought and my dad and and jimmy go they bought this territory i want to say 78 or something like that and um the fields brothers owned the whole thing and they ended up buying it from them and uh, but but prior to that was mike the hippie boyette and do you remember that name at all oh, yeah i remember mike and real well yeah yeah and uh, the camel clutch was the hippie hold yeah <laughs> <laughs> And that was his um, But yeah, uh, you know, Ricky Gibson, young. Uh, Jerry, were you on the card that night that Ricky Gibson came to Atlanta for the first time? It was his first match and they did the Bobby Shane um, wow. was the like one of the top heels. And he had Winston was his manager wow. and uh, and whoever they had plugged some big name that was supposed to be there. And, you know, like from New York or whatever, they had plugged it for a week and the guy didn't show up. And so Bobby Shane went out there and said, uh, and it may all have been a gimmick 
a booking ploy anyway <laughs> to make Ricky Gibson because it did. They so Bobby Shane they had all the baby faces come out and line line up in the ring. And they had Bobby Shane get a microphone and literally go from one to the other to the other. Oh, look, it's the Marietta Fireman, Bobby Dingling Armstrong. <laughs> Hello, Mr. B- Mr. Armstrong. We're going to go ring the bell right now. I bet you do. But you want to jump. And so he would just cut a promo on every one of them until he got to Ricky Gibson, who was about 19 years old. And, you know, a skin, just a skinny young kid standing in the ring and wouldn't even look up at him and look in his eyes. And he said, of all the men and the stature and the force and the, and he just starts singing all these accolades and said, this is the guy I'll wrestle you tonight. And so then, you know, he just beats Ricky half to death in the match. And then uh, Ricky, a small package is in one, two, three, Ricky was made. He was made a, Ricky, a star yeah. right then. And uh, so Ricky was a big star down here in those days. Um, they look, they, once my dad and those guys took over this territory, they did the same thing the Fields brothers had done. They just made their own stars. They didn't rely on bringing in big names. I mean, they brought in Austin Idol from Memphis, but they brought in Lord Humongous, was just a big, huge kid from Louisville, Kentucky. You know what I mean? And they made him uh, a star. And, and so that's what they did with everybody here. And look, me and my brothers were small. I mean, Steve was thick and good size, but me and Brad were – smaller guys so um it, it was kind of a small man territory prior to uh, the fullers taking it and buying it so it just worked to have smaller guys here like adrian street he, he was really short the nightmares uh kenny wayne danny davis they had a long run here uh because they could tag tag have tag matches and there were so many family members here <laughs> <laughs> We, Isn't we it unique how different territories were different sizes, different things? Right. You know, yeah. there were certain places tag teams weren't used. Certain places tag teams were the big of draw. You know, certain places big guys were the, the thing. Certain certain territories wrestlers. You know, the amateur yeah. boys. You know, were, were the big things. It's it's just unique how every territory almost uh, you could you could when you said that name, you knew the type of wrestler that would get over there. Right, that's true. That's very true. And Matt. And, you know, here, look, on on uh, Sunday night, the show was in Pensacola. So you were at home all day. You left the house at 7 o'clock that night. Um, the next day was Mobile, so you would leave at 2 in the afternoon, drive four hours. Four hours was the longest trip. On Wednesday, it would be Montgomery, two-and-a-half-hour drive. Thursday, Thursday might be off. Friday would be a spot show. And the spot show would be like a National Guard Army or something on the way to Dothan on Saturday because Dothan, we did TV that morning and then live that night. And back then you, you guys know that the TVs, you do one TV and then you bicycle it and all those, all those towns that you go to. But in Dothan, we, we shot it that morning and then aired it at five 30 in the afternoon and the matches started at eight 30. So from five 30 to six 30, you're eating dinner and watching the only wrestling show on television that week. And as soon as you ate your dinner watching wrestling, Hey, let's go. And that town was always, I mean, there'd be three or 4,000 people every week. It was just crazy how good that town was. It was good to my family. Anyway, (laughs) that that was an awesome territory and the talent that sprung out of there. Like you said, they were all homegrown, which made it better. 
they were all in, in fashion in that old school method too of, of the wrestling. I'm, I'm so glad you brought up Ricky Gibson because he he gets overlooked in the list of uh, great great performers because Robert was so damn good and right. that tag team Robert was in was just just off the chart great. But Ricky Ricky Ricky's the one to start that. Rick, Ricky could work with anybody. And Ricky like you, as you said Ricky was not a big guy, but man he could go out there with a big guy. And, and sell his, his his that old southern right, cell yeah. that old southern cell where there'd be riots. You know, I mean, because the guy <laughs> selling it so much, you'd think he'd get killed, and then all of a sudden right. that southern fire come back, and here he goes, man, <laughs> and, and everybody in the building said it. But he's right. o- he's overlooked as one of the great greats. I think he he was he was he was an awesome performer. He uh he reminds me of you a little bit, Jerry. He he reminded me of you. He, he's, he's a mean. First- Yes. He said, Hey, Scotty, you ever seen a match burn twice? And I said, I, I don't even know what you're telling me. He said, Watch this. And he lit a match and immediately blew it out and stuck it on my arm. And I went, Oh my God. He said, It burned, right? It burned twice. <laughs> so it lit. And so, God dang Wait it. Wait a minute. I didn't do anything mean like that. <laughs> no, you, no, you didn't. You didn't. Only only to Bruce Pritchard did you do something. Only stuff to like Bruce, that. yeah. Well, he deserved it, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you guys had him on this podcast? Oh, he's too big for us, man. He's oh. gonna, you know, he, <laughs> he, he keeps is. saying he will, but then he won't return a call. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Once he get once he gets fired again, he'll come on. that's exactly how it works (laughs) oh that's awesome yeah i started doing a podcast too they as soon as they fired me i had a guy reach out and go hey you're thinking doing a podcast and i went no man that ain't me and he goes no no please please so we talked a few minutes and he said i'll take care of everything so now armstrong avenue podcast every week all right (laughs) do you do it with somebody or do you do it by yourself yeah, no, there's a a, a guy uh, on Twitter. He's Big Mike, the host, and he's a good dude, and he knows – he's like you guys. You send me the link, I hit it, and we talk. And so um, he, he's, he lives in Georgia. He's been awesome. There's a, a guy started a network called IWN, the Independent Wrestling Network, and it's, a, there's an, it's an app. And you go to it, it'd be like um, – like all the indie shows, if they want their show on this app, all they got to do is contact the guy, and the guy puts the show on the app. It's it, it, for the wrestlers; they can the indie wrestlers they can go on there and get booked or do their bookings and say, "Here's the dates I'm available," and then go off to the side and make their. Di- it's a it's a cool concept, and that's who uh, backs my podcast. And you know, so, it's amazing, Bruce and Conrad pretty much. I don't know if they invented it, but they made this whole genre. Bruce invented it. Yeah, yeah. We always get on to Bruce about it. he's inventing everything, but he really did with the podcast. I mean, when Bruce got hot, I mean, he just it's unbelievable. Yeah, Brian. Brian's on their network on their whatever ad free shows. Yeah, Brian Road Dog. He's on. He's on there doing. I don't know if he can. He just got hired back, so I don't know if he's still doing it or. Don't, don't you still work there, Jibble? I, I kind of, yeah. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like you, Scott. I'm unemployed. <laughs> it depends yeah, right. on the week. <laughs> right. I'm going to go back to my Uber as soon as I hang up with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> they call me, I work. They they don't call yeah. me, I don't. So yeah, <laughs> fair enough. My, my next door neighbor, he said, you know, 
in all the years I've lived in this house for 20 something years, he said, in all the years, I've never seen you so much. Are you not in the wrestling business anymore? And I said, <laughs> yeah, I said, yeah, no, it's, you know, that kind of ran its course, I guess. I said, at least that's what they tell me. And he said, well, I'll tell you this, your yard's never been so well kept and your yard's <laughs> yeah. been so clean. I know the feeling. <laughs> well, I read on the internet, which is always right, by the way. I know it is. Uh, no, yeah. Are you are you working with Impact now? No. Uh, I went and did a weekend with them and did one of their um, – oh, I didn't – I took a referee shirt because I didn't know if I was going to referee or not. I just – you know, the deal, take your gear. And even at my age, I still took my gear. And they said, hey, Scott um, – you know, we're going to shoot our TVs tomorrow night, but tonight we were wondering if you'd want to um, referee the women's championship, the, their, you know, impact championship. And I went, oh, dude, I'd be honored. And then in my head, I'm thinking, oh, I haven't refereed in nine or 10 years. And I start thinking, man, can I do that? Dude, I, you ain't seen nobody stretch so much before I walked out there. And them girls went about 20 minutes and had about 30 false finishes. So I'm down, up, down, up, up. I was aghast when I came back, but um, look, they treated me like royalty. The whole, from Scott DeMore runs the show. He's got a, a, a really awesome staff and his writers. And honestly, I, I have to say, they treated me like a king. Um, after the two days, uh, you know, and getting home and talking, it's just in my world right now. It's not the fit um, for me. So it's the... Um, the, the deal before I started, I said, hey, so can you give me a bunch of dates? He said, well, why don't we date before we go steady? And I went, I like the way you said that. And so I, I, I told him, say, hey, dude, it ain't really breaking up if we never went steady. Right? <laughs> so uh, look, the door was left wide open, please, you know, anytime. And, and uh, it's just me right now. It's just, uh, look, I've been around this a long, long time. And if I was half my age, I'm sure I would have jumped in with both feet. Um, but, you know, I got, a, I got a grandson starting soccer, and he's four years old. Hey, before we go any further, let me tell you this one story. He's four years old, and he's my only grandchild. And he calls me Pop. He's Pop. I got a baseball game. It's four-year-old T-ball. And so half of them are chasing butterflies. The other half's digging a hole <laughs> at first base. And so the, it comes time for their bat, and it's the first inning of the first at bat of the entire season. And I've been working with him in the backyard and we've <laughs> ran the bases and we've, I mean, we've done it all to get ready for this first game. And the coach goes, okay, who wants to bat first and third? You know, the whole team raises their hand and they, and his, my grandson's name, Grayson. Okay. And he said, Grayson, you start us off first batter of the season. Let's go. He knocks the crap out of the ball and runs straight to the pitcher's mound and turns around and starts waving at everybody. <laughs> you got that wrestling blood in him already. Yeah. That's right. Yes. That's right. The whole, the whole bench and the coaches are all going, no, first base, first base. But it literally set the tone of where I needed to be for the rest of the season. I didn't miss a game, and I laughed. Oh, four-year-old T-ball is the best. Man. Got one time me and Ron were at some uh, signing or something, it wasn't about a year ago. And they put us on in a, like a beach hotel. And that morning they had like all these like four or five year old kids doing karate class. So you had them all, you had them all lined up. And the instructor was like very serious. He was doing all this stuff. 
And there was not one kid doing it with them. They're picking up seashells. They're throwing rocks in the ocean. Yes. I, so, I'm sitting on the balcony watching Ron, and Ron, Ron calls me. He goes, are you watching this? I said, yes, I am. And that dude's probably getting about 75 bucks a kid, right? The, the exactly. Teacher. Yeah. And the parents are so proud their kid's taking karate classes. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's the truth. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, it. you worked for you worked for a guy that I never got to work for that I wanted to. In fact, he said he was going to booking me, but then he lost his territory, which is kind of a joke between me and him because he goes, "I still got some bookings for you." Everybody see him, he tells me that it's Jim Cornette. Oh up, yeah, up yeah, in yeah. Smoky Mountain. Yeah. How'd you like working up with Cornette in Smoky Mountain, dude? He look, he's Jim Cornette. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. he, yes. It, yes. It, it, people, I, I've had people since I've started doing indies again. I've had people say, yeah, what do you think of Jim Cornette? And I go, hey, look, if you understand Jimmy before you walk in the room, there will never be an issue. And you will always laugh. There, you will always have a good time. And that's the way he was. Look, he was he, he was always good to my family. And he used us all. And uh, he, he, he had a vision. I mean, he really did. He had a vision for Smoky Mountain Wrestling. And he's the only guy in my career that sat me down and said, okay, I want you to wear a mask and we want to call you this and you will do this for an entire year and we will give you wins on TVs and uh, you'll get wins in the first match of all the live events. He said, and the entire time that you're getting these wins under this mask, we're going to be building your father as the commissioner and we're going to build him bigger than any top baby face. And, and uh, a year from now, then it'll be, uh, you know, me against your dad in a cage. And, I, and look, back, back then, there was a lot of long-term booking. I just had never been a part of any of it. And so, um, you know, now, nowadays it's week to week. <laughs> but, but back then, to be sat down and told, here's what we're going to do. And then it actually, because, you know, come on, man, a year from now, who knows what anybody's going to be doing. And that's what he did, man. He did it. And we, you know, he drew the, we drew big houses along the way because he would put my dad and him in there and I'd just be early on the card. And, uh, and then bam, we made some money. And then after that, after I took the mask off, then uh, me, uh, my brother, Steve and I did the tag team and, and had a little run and, and, uh, worked with the Harris boys a bunch of times. I know y'all know they're the best, man. Yeah. Um, and so I love uh, Ronnie and Donnie. Oh, dude, I just saw them at uh, Ric Flair's last match. Um, I actually timed that show. And he and so I can't tell you which one it was, Ronnie or Donnie, but I can tell you it was one of them. They're twins, the, you know. It's the, yes. It's, one of them is the manager of the building at the National really? Auditorium. Yes. Wow. And, and so we walked in. I was talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, just grabbed me from behind and just started shaking me. And when he sat me down, I went, yeah, I remember that. I, I knew who it was. I knew it was one of you guys. He, I said, hey, dude, you remember the time, first time we ever worked with you guys in Knoxville? And you picked me up and body slammed me, and I hit so hard and went, you don't have to do that. I'll help you. And I said, and then we came back and I said, Hey man, I'm 180 pounds. I'll go up with you. All you got to do is turn me over, man. You don't have to really slam me. And immediately he went, 
Oh no, that was Donnie. He's not here. He'll be here tomorrow. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> and then, then we we had a show. We had a run uh, with uh, Cornette's Heavenly Bodies. You know, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Backlund. And so the, we were on last. Well, uh, Ronnie and Donnie were on uh, like mid mid show, and they immediately got out of there. So we stay in Hazard, Kentucky. Everybody stayed at the Daniel Boone Inn. I don't even know if it's still there, but um, the Daniel Boone Inn, and it was just the old, what you would imagine, uh, uh, hotel, nothing special about it, rooms on the outside. And me and Steve pull up, and our headlights are shining right at the last door of the hotel. Uh, so, you know, the people had their curtains shut, but all of a sudden the door opens up. And it's one of those twins with all that hair, and he is in his tidy whitey underwear. And he just starts waving at us. And as he's waving, the other brother shoves the shit out of him, slams the door, and, and out, out in the parking lot with our high beams right on him and all that hair. Oh my God. And I told him, me and Steve, we when we were working that territory, uh, you know, we lived in Pensacola. So, I mean, some of those shows missed eight hours to Knoxville. And so we did a lot of driving from here uh, to go up there. And so it started getting expensive. Uh, not only just, I mean, gas wasn't that expensive then, but still the cost of living and us going and having to live in hotels. And Steve said, hey, man, why don't we just map it out and take our tent and stay in the state park that's the most centralized to all our shows? And I went, Oh, dude, that's brilliant. So we did. And we took our rods and reels. And so the first show, we drove to the first show and all our camping in the back and bags and everything looked like we were, we were about to lose, lose or leave town. <laughs> and, and he said, and, and the Harris twins gave us the most crap about you guys are doing what? Oh my God, I can't, that's the stupidest thing. Well, we, we set up camp in the dark that night. Woke up the next morning near a, next to a beautiful lake and went and fit. And we started catching fish that morning, just having a great time. So we get to the town the next night and we said, man, we start telling our stories in the locker room. Man, we caught all these fish. on, And they said, hey, Ronnie, what do you think, man? We go buy a tent and we can camp with the Armstrongs. And we said, hell no, man. No, y'all ain't camping with us. <laughs> I, had, I had great times with those guys, man. They were they were good dudes, really good dudes. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know why they didn't stay around longer. You know, they had such a good look. They were good workers. And yeah, good, good workers. Yeah, they were. They were good, good workers. The whole, look, that whole Smoky Mountain uh, – but two, you know, they didn't use a bunch of huge, they used huge stars like on their big, big shows in Knoxville. But look, we were doing Barberville, Kentucky and at the high school. And we, we were doing towns like that, you know, Jellicoe, Tennessee, right across the mountain an hour from Knoxville. We're doing small towns, but they were drawing. And and we did good. You know what I mean? At Cornet, he did good, I guess. Yeah, um, Jim, Jimmy just had a, a vision, like you said, of what he wanted to do. And he he wouldn't let any of the, the boys or the BS around us around their business to interfere with what that vision was. And he kept doing it. And it was, it was great. Smoky Mountain was, was one of the well-known territories. It, it's funny, Jerry, because even – in today's time, if you went back and watched one after the other, the storylines, they're oh, awesome. Yeah. They're, they, they work. Yeah. yeah. But but as far as working with Cornette, dude, I've seen him want to 
fist fight. I've seen him tilt. Come on. I mean, losing his mind, taking his glasses off. That's, that's the funniest thing in the world, too, oh. to see Jim Cornette wanting to fight somebody. I mean, I've <laughs> witnessed it a couple of times. I witnessed it in a production meeting at WWE oh. <laughs> with him and Kevin Dunn. And uh, it's the funniest thing you'd ever want to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen him cuss the guy in the Wendy's drive through so bad. <laughs> Because, oh, damn, man. Yeah, yes, because there wasn't no, any bacon on his baconator or I don't know, something. <laughs> but dude, he, he, he's a he is a trip, man, but I can't, you know, for me personally, and, and I feel like I can speak for my family, I can't say anything bad about him, man, because no. he, 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 if he said a dollar figure, we got that dollar yeah, figure. Man. And he never duped us. He never lied to us. Um, and you know, in the wrestling business, hey man, <laughs> you go you go a career, and somebody says, "Hey, you never told me a lie." Come on, man, that's that's a lie. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> he he just just really, I listen to his podcast now, and just lie. I mean, my son doesn't know him. My son only knows of him through me and my brothers and my dad. And my son will come home and say, "Dad, did you hear Cornet's podcast?" No, but tell me when it is. I'll I'll listen to it, and uh, I can't help but laugh because it's awesome, man. It, it's just it's and Jimmy, it's, and it's a truth. It's a truth according yeah. to Cornette, and it's right. Usually, right. It's usually yes. true. <laughs> Perspective is reality, so it is reality. <laughs> yeah, I had a promoter one time tell me he said I, I got I got your books, and if I don't, you can call me a liar the rest of your life. <laughs> called him a liar the rest of his life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> those guys, love it. some of those guys just had no scruples. They just lied to you. And you they're, know they're lying. You they're, know still they're, lying. lying. <laughs> they're still yeah. out there. Yeah, Jibble. They're still out there. I promise you. I've run into one or two of them already. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> so, yes. I mean, I got released uh, at the beginning of January. And so I've taken a number of indie bookings. And for the most part, Everything's been awesome, but there's still a couple of those that what you're talking about that that just you just go, dude. Yeah, it's not like that. <laughs> no, Scott, Scott, isn't it wonderful though? We when you do get that one promoter that that that's a good promoter, and and you look and you just you're sitting in that dressing room. Everything about it has that old school feeling. Yes, and, and they you do run into. There's a few around the country that you know that has that has that that uh, that attitude toward towards bringing the old school back but then yeah. you, you you walk into some of these places and wow what am i doing here how did i let myself get booked in <laughs> yeah i uh i was on an indie show uh two things happened on this indie show one there were not anywhere near enough chairs in the locker room huh. and so i just look man i'm if somebody offered me a chair i would have taken it nobody did and it's all <laughs> 20 20 year old dudes 25 year old dudes Hey, man, hey, that's their right. They don't have to offer me anything. So I kind of got off to the corner and did my own thing to get dressed. But another guy had taken, you know, those uh, like those camp chairs that you just plop open and have right, a seat yeah. like you go to your kid's ball game or whatever. He had brought one. I said, hey, man, whose chair is that? And he said, it's mine. I said, where, where did you? He said, I brought it from home. I said, you're the smartest man in this whole locker room. <laughs> I went the next day and bought one. I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be stuck in that ever again. I will have a chair. But the other thing was this guy was uh, talking about he, he, he was going to do a dive and he was going to do 10 dives in his matches. <laughs> I mean, he, I'll do this dive and I'll do that dive. And somebody went, 
hey, do you think that's too many dives? And he went, well, I'm going to tell you right now, the I've never done a dive that the people didn't react. And I said, you know, if you pull the guy's hair, you'll get a reaction too. And he, he just kind of looked at me like, what? And I thought, this guy doesn't get it. You know what I mean? He's going to do 10 dives and be in a body cast. And I'm going to start coming up and have JBL pull my hair back down and the people will lose their minds. You know what I yeah. mean? It's, it's the art of the work work and, and work, right. Being the key word work. And it depends and, on the reaction. If, if you walk out the crowd, anybody, and you just grab the microphone and go, you suck. You're going to get people that boo you. That, yes. That doesn't mean you're over. And then you right. have heat. Right. You know? Yeah. It just sounded like 10 wasted dives when the kid was saying it. I thought, man. Hey, I'll tell you something for, I, that you, I, I know you'll understand. Pat McAfee, I went, when I went up to WWE, and, and I'd met him several times, but he's sitting there in a chair. He's working. And when I walk on onto the set, he gets up and wants to give me his chair. You're, out of respect. Yeah. There and, you and, go, man. And I, I thought, man, I told him, I said, you know, you're an all pro. Uh, you, you played you played in the top league and you were like the best you're like an all pro in that league yes and he goes well, on the best, yeah. and, and he was just like no 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 and i said i'm please and i, and I wouldn't take it of course but <laughs> right but what but, a what a cool still, dude yeah the respect he, he's a massive star he just got assigned a deal for 30 million dollars a year with with fandom <laughs> saw, or whatever it was oh that he's, he's a couple time all pro in the nfl yeah. and he offers me his chair and I thought, yeah, this this guy's right, righteous, good, guy's good, good dude, right? Yep, good yeah. human being. Yeah, and, that's, and it's just amazing, you know, that that sometimes you know some young guy, it, it doesn't even occur to him. Right? Yeah, no, dude, I can't imagine. I if I talking about getting bumped up to a first class seat, uh, even at, towards the end of my run with WWE, I'd get bumped up to a first class seat. There wasn't one time that. Um, even if it was Fit or Dean Malenko or Arn or any of, if they didn't get bumped up, I offered them my seat every time. And it's just what you do, man. You know what I mean? It, it is. It's just what you do. And I, one time I, I remember a, a veteran getting on the plane and me watching and, and one of the young guys had got, you, you know, back then, and I don't know how it is now, if you're a champion, you get a first class seat and young dude gets the title. I don't care if you're the champion or not. You see Jerry Briscoe walk by, you offer him your seat. That's just the way I feel. Um, it's a shame that that's lost. And it's only because you can't pop the shit out of somebody and hit them in the mouth. Amen, <laughs> <laughs> <I remember>. bro. <laughs> because <laughs> if you could do that it'd be a little more uh take the seat sir please <laughs> if they ever saw jerry briscoe take bruce pritchard flip over on a dead gum sofa <laughs> they'd, they'd give it they'd give him a seat at a five-star yeah, hotel <laughs> they, they'd give, yes they'd give him the whole row yeah <laughs> uh, you were part of a great angle you were you're part of the build-up to a wrestlemania they called yeslemania right with daniel bryan yes Yes. I mean, that to me was just, you know, it was one thing you talk about uh, people not getting it. Everybody thought the company was burying Daniel Bryan. Everybody thought they were doing, you know, all this. How could they bury this guy? We got him on five segments every show. It's not exactly, not exactly like we're buried. He's right. going to go yes. over at the big show. But yes. you, had that, you had that great heel run as a referee. That was, uh, that. yeah, that, hey, look, that was, 
prior to the beginning of that, that was another long-term booking thing that I was involved in. Just a lot, we did it in, what two months instead of uh, we did it in the WrestleMania build-up, I guess. Uh, Hunter came to me and just said, "Hey, Scott, we're gonna," you know, I was already into my fifties and my hair, needless to say, very gray. And uh, and he just said, uh, "Hey, so we're gonna." Uh, want you to be a producer but while you're learning how to do that and get go come into all these meetings we're going to write you off the tv and we're going to make you the heel referee and we're going to do it with daniel bryan and there'll be a, a down the line we'll do a fast ca- i mean it was all calculated and i just went I, in my mind i'm thinking man this to be at the end of your uh, on-camera career, you know what I mean? And for a guy like me who literally has loved this business since youth, um, to to end his career in front of the camera uh, as a referee involved in a storyline to be written, because at the end of the whole deal, Hunter says, I just can't trust you anymore, you're fired. And so, and they took me off of TV. So to be able to be written in a storyline to end up, you know, transforming into the producer behind the scenes. It was, man, for, for me, career-wise, it was felt storybook. You know what I mean? So um, as far as the the people, oh, my God, dude. Screw and Daniel Bryan, they were so behind him. It was it unreal. Was oh, my God. So screwing him was like, I mean, on Twitter, I'd get, you know, if I see you somewhere, I'm going to beat the shit. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you just laugh at that and think, God, I need to watch what I'm doing and where I'm going by myself. <laughs> There's nothing greater than a heel referee. You know, Nick Patrick was a great oh, heel referee. You know, yes. and it's just like the honest, like when he told them, I've got to remember who it was. He told me, hey, man, the jig is up. They know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the yeah. biggest crook in the world, which <laughs> I, I appreciate greatly. <laughs> Yeah, it was fun, man. It, it was it was fun to be involved. Um, I'll have to admit the paychecks did rise up just a little bit during that run, so I definitely appreciate it. My kids appreciated it, that's for sure. Um, but career-wise, I, tr- I truly did. It, it was awesome. And Daniel Bryan, look, man, I mean, you you guys know he's straight-up good dude. And, well, uh, and that was one of the greatest builds ever. You know, you had the right guy. Daniel Bryan was the right guy, man. He was such yes. – it still is such a great yeah. worker and such yeah, he, the underdog character that he's constantly getting screwed, constantly getting screwed. Then you find out even the referee's crooked against him. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's Everything the, stacked against him. <laughs> oh, I just remember the production meeting at, at that WrestleMania and all they were worried about was make sure we get the crowd angle right. Because when 80 something thousand people are chanting, yes, this is going to be one of the greatest moments in wrestling. Yeah. History. And it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. That's, it's, it's funny to be able to see a guy, you know, look, if you look at Daniel Bryan, if you're, when you're at the gas station and you don't know him, as men size each other up, you look over the lobby, that guy's asking the heartbeat, you know what I mean? And then fast forward to him leaving the gas station and going to the biggest stadium in the city (laughs) and standing in the middle and going, yes, yeah. And seeing 80,000 do the same thing, you just go, I live in a crazy world, man. Yes. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's such, it's such a fun thing when you see a, something like that play out and you're, you're, when you're a step ahead of the people and you know, you know, yeah. and Jerry both know what I'm talking about when, when you do it right and you know, you're right. 
you're thinking, okay, if I can just not screw this up, this right. is gonna be this is gonna be awesome. <laughs> it's gonna work. It's gonna work. It's like the like the heat in a tag match when you've beat that baby face down, beat that baby face down, and you got the people, and the guy literally dives to tag his baby face partner. That pop tells you how good the heat was, right? right. <laughs> right. That pop tells you we got him, man. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I love it. Yeah, it was uh dude, Daniel Bryan was awesome. He and Kane did the whole uh yes no, what were they team hell no or something like that? Oh, and he was so entertaining. He was the greatest yeah. underdog. He was great in the comedy with Kane, which by the way, Kane has range like hardly anybody <laughs> could be. He can be a monster, he can be your comedian, he can be your mayor. Yeah, or your dentist. Are you this? Are your mayor? Yeah, yeah, the mayor for sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really cool. You know, you think, oh man, that guy's an asshole. I hate to see him win the title, or I hate to see him get a good break in the business. And then you see Daniel Bryan do that, and you think, hey man, the good guy really did win. You know, all the way around because he's a really good human being. And uh, so for him to have all that success, and even even now, uh, you know, with AEW, he's still successful. So it's really cool for him. I'm glad for him because he is. Yeah, a good the, those are all your really feel good moments about our about our business when you see a guy that defeating all odds. I mean, uh, you know, there's no way that you know you look at Daniel Bryan like you said at a gas station. There's no way you could ever picture him in front of eighty five thousand people. Yes, 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 <laughs> right, <laughs> ever. <laughs> hey, hey Scott, I, and I, I know we're running out of time. Before we go, uh, I want to ask you about Road Dog. Uh, you know, Road Dog's like Brad, one of the most entertaining guys in the world. And all of a sudden, Road Dog gets out there with Billy on, I think it was Shotgun Saturday Night or something like whatever it was, and cuts this <laughs> really entertaining promo that all of us had seen him do in the back forever. <laughs> were you surprised that his personality came out like that on television so uh on t so what i what i was surprised that i'd been in the business long enough to realize that um just because you could run your mouth didn't mean you'd get a microphone and so um i was surprised at him getting the opportunity to do that um uh, surprised at him being a nut job no never i mean literally I went to a high school reunion years ago, and the first thing this one guy says to me is, hey, whatever happened to your little brother, man? He, We were in Little League, and he was always the one to run up and kick us in the shin and then take off running, and, and you guys wouldn't let us beat him up because he was like four or five, and we, we were 12. And I, he said, whatever happened to him? I figured he'd end up in jail. And I said, well, he ended up doing really well, but I think he did have a detour or two in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but um, – so he was always like me and my wife start dating and Brian was like 13 and calls from another kid's house and said, Hey, ride down the road to this one uh, house uh, on a canal. He said, well, you got to see this, just walk around to their backyard. And I said, dude, I'm, you know, I'm 22. I'm probably 24. I said, dude, I'm not just walking in some dude's backyard. And he goes, no, the gate will be open. Him and his buddies, had BMX bikes on top of the guy's boathouse that was like three stories <laughs> high. And they're riding the bicycles off the boathouse and doing flips in the air and landing in the water. And I just, I'm waiting on him to come up going, oh my God, man. But that, that was him. You know what I mean? To, to, so to be able to see his personality be showcased and for him not to, you know, Brad was 
that way in the dressing room nonstop too. But as soon as Brad got in front of the camera, he became the, um, you know, 1970s uh, talker. Um, yes, sir. You know, Mr. Soli, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, he couldn't, he couldn't be Brad. And uh, Brian has never had that trouble. And even <laughs> now still does not. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, yeah, it, it was, it was just the fact that, that they gave him the airtime to do that. And then, you know, once they did it, dude, I'll never forget as soon as they started giving him the opportunity to come to the ring and do the, oh, you didn't know your ass better call. Once they started doing that, well, my daughter was six and my son was four when that all was happening. And so we would, you know, I wanted to watch him on TV, watch Brian's show. And so I would have to hold the, the um, channel change, the thing and hit mute as soon as he started talking, because I, I didn't want my six-year-old daughter hearing that. Uh, if we got two words for you, suck at, you know what I mean? And, and so, Daddy, what uh, I mean? <laughs> right. And so, right. And so then it got to the point where um, she starts second grade and she reads me, you know, people hold up the sign 420 dog 420 suck it and all. And she said, Dad, why are they holding up that poster? That well, they couldn't. I, after that, I couldn't watch wrestling anymore. <laughs> I said, "Dang, Brian, y'all." Yeah, I'd, I'd already begged him. I said, "Look, you say I got two words for you, and then you say suck it." I said, "Can you just not say that? Maybe let Billy say that part, so I don't have to explain everything to my kids." And he he would laugh so hard. He goes, "Yeah, man, I'll never forget. I was at his house when he went to the um, uh, Jibble. I know you remember these checks, and." And Jerry played it too. He went and got his very first pay-per-view check when he was um when him and Billy were doing that. And back then those checks were difference makers. And I oh, literally yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I looked those at those checks paid went, the rent, those checks oh, bought your car, those, those yes. checks were and I told those I checks for everything. When he came walking in with it and, and threw it over to the side, I said, What's that? And he said, This is my first pay-per-view check. Take a look. And I I just remember opening it and going, Hey dude, you got to buy another house <laughs> he, he, he just started laughing i said no man you need to start buying a bunch of houses i'm telling you right now <laughs> he tells me all the time i wish i would have listened to you that day <laughs> yeah, i was dude. on a panel with him the other day uh, not the other day i'm bad with time whenever it was a few months ago it was me him billy and ron and they asked him a question in the middle of his answer, he went into like four different jokes that were non sequiturs to anything else. He went like this, and he with that, he with that, he with that. It was one of the most entertaining things I'd ever seen. You know, he's just—I mean, he's obviously <laughs> really smart, but he's yeah. just, he just has a brain that races different. Than yes, right. yeah, that's true. That's very true. Sometimes you wish it would just race away. <laughs> race away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, he's a uh, hey, look. He, uh, when he turned 15, 15, I bought him his first car. Brad had bought Steve his first car when Steve turned 15, not 16. And, uh, and so I couldn't be out because me and Brad were wrestling. So we were making a little money at the time. And so I bought Brian his first car. And dude, if you don't think I hadn't held it over his head since he was 15 <laughs> years old, I, 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 when he was making all that money, I said, dude, buy me. He bought my mom a car, my dad a car. I said, dude, I bought you your first car, man. He may have bought me lunch. That's about it. <laughs> <That's> brother. <laughs> was uh, it a nice lunch or was it like a yeah. <laughs> <fast food? laughs> yeah. Listen, it days. Good, 
It wasn't good as a Cadillac, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, hey, thank thanks so much for coming on the show. I've been looking forward to having you all. You know, you we're fried chicken buddies, we're candy buddies. We're for sure. Buddies. <laughs> for sure, man. I you know, I always as we went our different ways of COVID and all that stuff and the lockdown, I always wondered how did we not ever get a sponsorship from Popeye's fried chicken or Sour Patch Kids? Because, dude, we were tweeting about it every production meeting with us with candy and eating candy and tagging them. And they just ghosted the crud out of us. They man. never responded <laughs> one time. I never got a free piece of chicken from them. <laughs> no, never. And now they've built one like a mile from my house, dude, of Popeye's. Oh, it's heaven. It is heaven. <laughs> but yeah, hey, man, I like, I, I really have. I look forward to this. Um, look, anytime I get to see either one of you guys is always a bonus. Uh, uh, Brad, JBL, I saw you, I know, at um, uh, WrestleCon, WrestleMania weekend, you and Ron, and uh, to be able to sit and laugh with you guys for just a couple of minutes, man. It's, this business, the best business on earth. You can get out of a car with a dude in 1974 and in 2022 run back into him. And it's like, you just got out of the car with him. And that's, <laughs> that's the best part of this business. Uh, I, lo I love the brotherhood and sisterhood. It's just fantastic. And I really, I appreciate you guys having me on. I really do, but I appreciate it more that it was with the two of you guys, man. I'm Thank you, God. Thank <laughs> you very much, brother.